three for three, I loved it as well. So <laughs> can you imagine if I had just come out and said, oh, I hated it? <laughs> Very awkward. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of the Danjo Film Show. Hope you're all well, staying safe wherever you are in the UK. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, I'm joined by the gorgeous Joe Richards, my co-host. How are you doing, Joe? Oh, thank you. That's really nice. But you did say on our last show that you were going to make my introduction film-related to be relevant for that week. So have you not got any St. Maud-related introduction? I mean, I could kind of do a rock pun right now. You're, you're kind of my rock, my, my Beal and Dial. I don't know. but That um, works. That works. Brilliant. I'm happy with that. I'll there we take are. That. We got there. We got there. We got um, there. And c- big congratulations, Joe. You've become an uncle very, very recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, uncle for the fourth time now. His name is Tom. And um, he was born, I think it was Monday, to be honest. Last weekend was so, I was on tender hooks all last week weekend just waiting to hear news it all kind of blurred into to one big long day to be honest and I wasn't even like giving birth so I can only imagine how it was for my brother and his wife but yeah he's lovely obviously it's a little bit sad because I'm not going to get to see him for a while because of local lockdown I live in a different place to my to my brother but hopefully I was speaking to my mum yesterday and I was like hopefully Christmas <laughs> like who knows <laughs> like if we don't get to see him by Christmas maybe he'll be talking by the time I see him I don't know maybe um, he'll yeah. be walking maybe he'll pass his driving test we just yeah, don't know maybe maybe he'll drive to see me but yeah very very lovely news in a time where the news hasn't been great otherwise so it's a like glimmer of hope um, but how have you been how's work been how's local lockdown going for you i know you're missing me very much yeah missing you dearly joe i cry myself to sleep at night things have been good is i can't wait to talk about rocks because without spoiling too much there's a lot of scenes that take place in the school i am a secondary school teacher um yes. so i can't wait to give my verdict on some of this but what's interesting is they use the same behavior system that we use in, in my school really? so i was like well done teachers i mean either they were actors or maybe they were real teachers i'm not too sure um, mm. Everything is so much realism in that film. But yeah, great to watch that recently. Can't wait to speak about that. But I'm good. Yeah, you know, local lockdown still going on here in Wales. Yeah, we just got to power through it. I mean, it's not been the best week for film. We'll get to that as well. But yeah, good to be with you, Joe. And uh, more importantly, good to be with our latest guest, who we've wanted a long time on the show. We're so glad she's here. Anna Smith, she's an English broadcaster and film critic, former chair of the London Films Critics Circle, and she's also the host of Girls on Film podcast. You can catch her on a BBC News with the Film Review, and also on Sky News. She does a podcast on there. So please welcome to the show, Anna Smith. Hello, Anna. Hey. Hi, good to be here. Thanks for having me, guys. My pleasure. And how have you been? How's, um, obviously, um, where, where you are based now, maybe there isn't a lockdown as such, but obviously a lot's been on this week Uh, how are you and yourself has it been a busy week it has been a busy week well I'm in London so we are still free to do things like go to the pub which is you know sorry to gloat but a very nice (laughs) thing to be able to do still safely Um, but it has been a strange week because I know we're going to talk about this a bit more later but obviously there's been a lot of news in the cinema world so um, because I do a lot of punditry um, I've been doing a lot of tv and radio particularly on Monday when the news about the Bond movies delay really broke. So it has been unexpectedly busy. It reminded me of the day after the Oscars, but I always know it's going to be busy that day. You know, the the phone is constantly ringing and I'm sort of juggling cars and juggling going between Sky.
Sky and ITV and Leicester Square and different studios. But it obviously wasn't expected this Monday. So it was it was all a bit hectic. Not for the best reasons, but it's always very nice to be called upon to comment on the industry. Definitely. And obviously you were kind of uh, the founder of the Girls on Film podcast, a podcast that Joe and I are big, big fans of. And we kind of discovered you on social media. Um, how did that start about? Because obviously it's, it's such an important podcast to have. You, you have a lot of interviews and guests on, such as Rosamund Pike I saw um, a couple of months ago. And it's really excellent. So how, how did that come about? What was your inspiration to starting that? Well, I always wanted to do a TV show um, where women talk to each other about film because obviously, you know, it's great hearing men talk to each other about film, but that seems that certainly when I started this seemed to be the norm and it was very rare to hear an all-female film show. So I wanted to start that and my agent, who's also a producer, Heather Archibald, suggested turning it into a podcast. I was like, great idea because podcasts really do have a great reach and a, a way of reaching people from all different backgrounds. So we started that up in 2018 and started hiring some of the best film critics around and we were also hoping to get some great you know actors and directors on and uh, I've been absolutely amazed and surprised and excited by the amount of people that have been knocking at our door as you mentioned you know really excited to come on we had Kerry Mulligan on episode three we had Linda Hamilton from the Terminator movies Brie Larson and then recently since um you know the first lockdown we've taken the opportunity to work with the British Film Institute on their YouTube channel. So we've been doing visual podcasts. I know it's not still a podcast, but yeah, we take it onto YouTube, which then going with the BFI gives it a huge reach again. So we're kind of trying to conquer the world, basically. Um, and, and, but it's been really lovely to reach people and to hear lots of people's feedback about film reviews from a female perspective in a fun way. I like to think of us as the fun face of feminism. Definitely. And you are conquering it. Absolutely. I loved your podcast. In particular, you spoke about Tenet a couple of weeks ago and some really interesting points about kind of the protagonist, the protagonista. And it really makes you think, doesn't it? Because a lot of the times, you know, we see films, you know, we, we analyze them and we enjoy them, but we don't ever look too deep into kind of the subtext behind it. You know, what could have changed maybe, what they could have done differently. So that was a really interesting point I, I picked up on as well. I'm glad that's been one of our most popular episodes, actually. And I think because people love to come away from a film that they've seen I mean often we talk about films you can see and recommend films you can see it so it's great if you want inspiration but at the same time it's lovely to get to grips with a movie that people have watched recently and they've come away with thoughts and questions and they're starting to form ideas in their mind and then we have a really invigorating discussion between two or three of us about it and then everyone feels involved and we're all together kind of discovering what does Christopher Nolan really think of women and was that character empowering or was that character actually really a cliched and you know it's great to sort of air all these thoughts together and to have it have an ongoing dialogue I think it's super important. 100% and thank you again for coming on we can't wait to get on with, with today's show and discuss all of the big news stories and reviews we've got reviews of Rocks, Becky and St Maud as well to coming up so uh, stay tuned for that but first let's go to our new segment and now Joe and I have been doing this podcast for it's about eight nine months now um, <laughs> and I, I can't I, I actually I think this is the biggest news story I think we've ever covered and it's something that if you talk, talk to me last year I would never say this would happen but obviously if you heard the news No Time to Die the latest James Bond film was pushed back till April 2021 and because of that and because because there are no major releases coming up in the next couple of months. Cineworld and Picturehouse. Cineworld owns about 128 uh, cinema sites in the UK. 
have decided to temporarily close, putting over 5,000 jobs at risk. A huge, huge shock, uh, this. And I know it came out on Monday, the big, big news. Anna, I know you've probably had a lot of interviews about this and given your thoughts. Um, was it a big shock for you? Because I've spoken to staff, employees at Cineworld, some of them saying it was a shock, some kind of predicted it. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think it was obviously a massive shock to a lot of people and how awful to be working somewhere and to find out through kind of rumours on social media. Mm. I mean, that, that's that's the, the most important thing is the people who work there, really. But looking at the bigger picture in terms of the industry, yes, um, it was a shock. I mean, a lot of people were murmuring about the Bond movie going back because even though um, it had already gone back once and what we thought was quite a conservative estimate in November, actually, you know, given recent events and the uncertain future, they decided to do it again. And it's hugely significant because, you know, if the, if the Bond movie had stayed there, it could have potentially kept a lot of cinemas open because clearly they need that revenue from the really big releases. There's some wonderful indie films that we'll be discussing later in cinemas, but they need the big tent poles to keep the revenue coming in. And because, of course, a lot of people will be lured out that wouldn't risk it otherwise to cinema by a big movie like Bond. So we knew there would be major impact if that movie got put back. But I wasn't expecting the news quite so soon to come from Cineworld and Picturehouse, because Cineworld obviously owned Picturehouse. But by some reports, apparently they were considering that already because obviously the last few months have been pretty awful for cinemas in general, even when they were allowed to reopen. Social distancing obviously makes it very difficult to pack it out or impossible to pack it out like they did in the past. So, yeah, it all, it all felt a bit sudden and really sad because, you know, I, my local picture house is just a haven for me. I, I love it. And, you know, they, they obviously love cinema. And with the Cineworld Unlimited cards, I know a lot of people get great value for money and go to see lots of movies. And it's a real boon to our industry. So despite there still being lots of other cinemas open, which we must stress, it is really disappointing and um, worrying that these two are shut. Absolutely. And obviously for us, Joe, cinema has been a form of escapism. It's, a, it's been a place we can go to and just escape the worries and the, kind of the issues of every day. Um, it's a, a place that we kind of met and we bonded over and we became friends over because we were just obsessed with going to the cinema. Obviously a huge hit to the industry. What were your thoughts initially? Were you just as shocked or did you think maybe back in August, I know Tenet coming out, I kind of had hopes that maybe that would have saved it. Were we just optimistic? Yeah, it was a strange one, wasn't it? Because the pressure was on Christopher Nolan to release Tenet and everybody was saying this is the film which could potentially save cinema. And that released, and I think it's, like we've talked about on the show before, that all things considered, it's done really well. With Bond, do I think that they made the wrong decision? I don't think that they did. I think they probably have made the right decision kind of pushing back to April because when the news broke on social media and everything like that, there, there seemed to be a lot of kind of blame gaming, a lot of pointing fingers. Some people said, well, you know, blame the producers, blame Bond, because if it wasn't for them, the staff wouldn't be in this position. And some people were blaming Cineworld because they, you know, as Anna rightly said, there are other alternatives, independent films and things like that, which they could potentially be looking into and, I think with Cineworld in particular, they're very funny about a theatrical window. So I think, I know, for example, like Everyman Cinema, they play a lot of the films which are going to be going on to Netflix. Currently, they're showing uh, the trial of the Chicago 7 and On the Rocks. But because of the theatrical window and the timings around that, Cineworld won't play those films. So there was a lot of kind of blame gaming. And then some people were saying, oh, it's the people's fault for not going to the cinema. And I don't think that's very fair either. It's just the circumstances of it all. And I had a conversation with my older brother. Me and him have gone to see the last 
however many Bond films I was able to see at the cinema together. And he kind of made the point saying that really he's in local lockdown. He lives in the valley somewhere. He hasn't got a cinema. So he said from his perspective, he understands it's frustrating and obviously he's, he doesn't want these employees to be in this position but from his, from his perspective if he's in local lockdown when this James Bond film comes out he's not going to be able to see it anyway because he can't leave his area to go and watch it so he's he's kind of happy in a way that it's being pushed back he seems to think that it should be released onto VOD at this point and he said look if they released it Christmas day he would he would pay a hundred pounds my brother's always been dramatic but he said <laughs> he would literally pay a hundred pounds to watch it Christmas day above all else it is very sad for those staff who again as Anna mentioned kind of found out through social media and this article which went um which went live on the, in the Sunday Times so it's awful for them but I went to the cinema on Monday to see a screening of St Maud and while I was there I ran into a gentleman who I used to actually serve in an old job of mine and he used to come in every day and he would buy newspapers which used to come I think it was the Daily Mail or something and they used to come with like these old school type movies like DVDs and he'd come in just to collect them and he's a big film fan and me and him got on you know based on that and I haven't spoken to him in years and I actually walked past him in this um, you know outside the cinema and I thought this is a, a gentleman who um, has kind of confided me in the past that you know he's a very lonely individual and for him like it's not dramatic when we say cinema is his world like going to the movies is his whole world and he was there on that Monday night and I just thought to myself there are people who rely on cinema as you said Dan it's an escape for some people it, it's it's a it's a beacon of hope for some people and it's it's awful for the staff but it's awful for those people as well who have got something to rely on, have got that crutch, and all of a sudden that's being taken away from them. And I, I do do worry about those individuals, and and that's why you know we can't stress how important it is to support the arts. You know, the arts aren't just something to be poo-pooed away by the Tory government. It means something to a lot of people. So yeah, very very sad news for everybody involved. As Anna rightly said, there are cinemas open. I think what will be interesting is to see how these other chains kind of. Uh, fill the gap because I know Ogin have announced that they're going to only open on weekends going forward but I had a look out of interest at View which is a cinema I don't go to much but I looked at their listings and they have got a strong lineup not of new releases but a lot of horror films they've got like uh, Scream they, they're showing like all the Scream films over the next couple of days they've got like family kind of horror movies like Hocus Pocus like very October horrific releases. So it'd be interesting to see how they do and how they perform um, and how they will fill that gap. But yeah, very sad times indeed. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it's good to point out as well that it wasn't just Bond. We had other studios delaying films yeah. as well. We had Black Widow. We had Wonder Woman. We had lots of the studios. And it's no one's fault, like you said, Joe. It's, it's a really, really difficult time. Anna, I know you've been very vocal on social media about safe cinema. Um, and I know you've been a real champion of indie films, as have I, as of Joe. And I feel like, uh, in particular, indie films are kind of being pushed to streaming. They're not given the cinema release um, as such, they, that's kind of being weighted on with the big blockbusters. What can cinema chains do now for the next couple of months? Cinema chains like View and Showcase and Odeon, who have now committed and say it said, you know, they are going to stay open for the next couple of months. What can they do to kind of make sure that they're getting the audience back in? 
Well, it's really tough, isn't it? Without a marketing budget, which I assume no one really has at the moment in the circumstances. That's why I think a lot of us, you know, who care and, and have a bit of a reach feel that we need to champion it. But I think it's interesting when you say library titles and, you know, you've had seen at the BFI, for example, not just London Film Festival, but they've been showing some titles that were, that had to go straight to streaming during the first lockdown. And now they have their big screen opportunity. And I think that's a really nice move. Um, if, you, if you're supporting indie cinema and you're also wanting to bring something to audiences that is new and fresh and different and um, that they might have missed or skipped past them if it went straight to VOD. But I think, you know, I think cinemas are, that are doing their best and anyone that I've been to, I've, I've been really impressed with the staff and all the safety measures and the attitude. So go cinema, you know, and just as you say, if you feel safe going, then go. I'm gonna be yeah. the new Picasso. Yeah. These are your clients. Yeah, she yeah, I'm gonna be a millionaire. How's your mum doing? Yeah, she's fine. Yeah? Yeah. I think you should tell someone about your mum. It's just you and Emmanuel. And... You wouldn't understand. What's the problem? Talk to me. I, I don't, don't need get you it. to worry for me. Such a world. You have to leave now. Get out. Get out. Can be loved into something. There's got to be a way to solve all this. You just can't keep going on by yourself. I've got five fun. I have 20. Yeah, I see the queen. The queen is shining. Hi. <laughs> Brooks, man. What do I work today? <laughs> Welcome to the future. Oi, where's your tickets? <laughs> Close your eyes. Think of everything that is happy. And stop thinking about all your worries. We're coming with you. Moving on now to some reviews, and the first one we're going to talk about is Rocks, British indie film, just come out now, it got a brief uh, theatrical release, it's now been uh, put onto Netflix, although it is available in certain cinemas. Joe, do you want to explain the story behind Rocks? Yeah, sure. So this is directed by uh, Sarah Gavron, who um, directed Suffragette uh, a few years ago now, I can't remember how long ago it was, but I remember seeing it with, with an ex-girlfriend, and, <laughs> um, and, 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 and really, really quite enjoying that, so it was, it was nice nice to see this from her as well. It's basically a story about friendship and sisterhood and about family and it basically follows the kind of central character Rox, that's her nickname, uh, played by uh, Boogie Bakre and um, she's basically a young teenage girl living on the surface a normal teenage life. We are introduced to her family unit, it's her, her mother, and um, her little brother. And then shortly after that, uh, she basically returns home one day after school, finds a note from her mother and a bit of money, basically saying that she needs to take some time out, that she needs to um, basically leave and, and essentially abandon them. 
there's kind of mentioned through the film that she's got mental health issues, um, perhaps. Um, so it's up to Rox to basically evade social services as long as she can and support her younger brother um, for as long as she can without being taken into custody. To do that, she has to rely on her friends. So I watched this a couple of days ago. I, I really wanted to see it. I didn't get a chance to see it on the big screen. I'm really disappointed that I didn't get to see it on the big screen. So it's on Netflix now. And it was announced really quickly from Netflix. I think Netflix could see the praise it was getting. So they were very quick to go, oh, just so you know, it's, if you can't get to the cinema, it's going to be out next week anyway on Netflix um, which I don't don't necessarily agree with to be honest but yeah so I saw it on Netflix and um, but you know I've got a big enough screen I kind of dimmed the lights I kind of sat there kind of made it more, as much of a cinematic experience as possible and I really really love this it, this week I've got to say it's been a great week for film because the film releases have sort of been a bit stagnant over the past like few months like all of a sudden this week, my top 10 of, of 2020 has just shifted incredibly. And Rocks is definitely one of those films which has just jumped straight up to uh, one of my top 10 films of 2020. It's the type of film which I adore. The kind of style of filmmaking is very kind of Lochian, Ken Lochian type of filmmaking here. And I think um, when I went in knowing that Sarah Gavron had directed it, the last film, I as I said, I remember of hers was Suffragette, and that had a stellar cast. That had, like, Kerry Mulligan, um, Helena Bonham Carter, Meryl Streep. And, I, you know, that had a stellar cast, you know, and I remember seeing the posters, and they made a big thing about that cast. I remember watching the film, and I thought the film was, was solid enough, but it, in terms of visual stylings and things like that, it, I couldn't remember much to be really talk about in that respect. This film is totally different. It's very collaborative. Um, it's been talked about that, you know, the, that, um, the director and the writer were very collaborative with the cast in terms of bringing uh, as an authentic kind of experience to the screen as possible. And I think that really helps the film because you watch the film and you feel like you're a fly on the wall you feel like you're watching a documentary. And that just means that you invest so much more into these characters that you feel like you are in there, you feel like you're with them, you go through this emotional roller coaster with, with the lead character, with Rox. And that is a comment to the collaborative nature of the, of the filmmaking process. But it's also a comment to the cast as well, who are terrific. The cast are outstanding. The cast, you know, you would think they've been acting for 20, 30 years. They're just so naturalistic. They're so authentic that it just adds to that emotion of the film. It just kind of increases the kind of force uh, behind the punch, the, the emotional punch that this film really gives you. It balances really well as well like we were talking briefly before this, Dan, the joy and the sadness. It is heartbreaking. It made me tear up towards the end as well, as, as you said earlier on, you know, especially thinking about my niece and my nephews who I'm ridiculously close with and thinking about that feeling of not being able, you know, it's such a good central performance um, for the younger brother as well. He's so adorable. And I think just thinking about that kind of feeling of without spoiling anything of, potentially being separated from them and not being able to see them and not be able to have that normal life as before just really hit me and it got me really emotional so it is sad and it, it, it does kind of make you tear up but it's got to be said that it's so joyful as well and as much as I was kind of heartbroken towards the end 
I kind of, my heart was full as well because the friendship in this film, the sisterhood in this film is just such a lovely thing to watch. And with everything going on in the world right now, that kind of togetherness, that message of togetherness and support and love that this film essentially has at its core, I think is a really, really special message. So I really, really loved it. I think, as I said, it's one of my favourite films of 2020. And now you have no excuse because it's on Netflix. So if you do have a Netflix subscription, do go and watch it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's a really strong film, one of the films of the year. I actually saw it last year on the big screen at Zurich Film Festival, and that nice. was fantastic. It's electrifying to see it on the big screen. And we um, did a special episode devoted to rocks on Girls on Film at the Rotterdam Film Festival earlier this year, so you can seek that out. And um, Sarah Gavron and her associate director, Anu Enriquez, came on, and they were fascinating to speak to. And they spoke about casting these girls who, as you say, such talent performers but they just went into schools they did workshops they talked to lots and lots of different girls and they ended up casting the two central characters Rox and her best friend together because they saw the rapport these girls had and the rapport they developed and I think that really shows on screen and I think it's really humbling of a director as you say like Sarah Gavron who's worked with Meryl Streep for goodness sake but who a was happy to work with a younger associate director who was much more involved in that scene and, and also from a diverse background and b to give such faith and time to these new young actresses or would be actresses and I think the results are so authentic and so uplifting and upsetting in equal measure I think it strikes that tone exactly right as you say um, and I you know I have not met anyone that saw rocks that didn't enjoy it you know mm. from lots of different backgrounds um, it's getting rave reviews and it's just lo one of those lovely films that feels like a very important slice of life and Sarah said when she came on the podcast is that, you know, you often see negative stories set in very diverse London neighbourhoods about drugs and about crime. And when they spoke to the young girls, um, she said that, yeah, they said, yeah, we're aware of that. Obviously that exists, but there are so many other things going on in their lives and there's so many other concerns. And I think Rox really develops that side of it in a way that we don't see enough. Absolutely. And I'm three for three. I loved it as well. So can you imagine if I had just come out and said, oh, I hated it? <laughs> Very awkward. Um, no, absolutely right. It was just an outstanding British indie drama. 100% uh, agree with you, Joe. Very Ken Loachian. Very I, Daniel Blake, which I loved. And sorry to miss you from last year. And just everything, the dialogue, a lot of it is improvised. And it just feels so authentic and real. And you're right. And I think it depends a lot on the relationship between the girls, the sisterhood, the female empowerment, the fact that they can kind of support each other even at the bad times. And I just thought it, it was gritty when it needed to be. It, it, it kind of delved itself into some really kind of deep subject matters when it wanted to. But also, like Joe says, light as well, funny, really funny, especially the scenes in the school, I've got to say. I thought they were great as well. I loved the scene in particular when she got her phone out to show the teacher Instagram and the teacher was like, oh, yeah, very good, very good. <laughs> <laughs> no, but seriously, I agree with both of you. It's just an outstanding uh, film to be watched in cinema or Netflix. And again, like Joe, I was completely, really, really gushed I couldn't see it at the cinema because I think it would have been a breathtaking experience. Um, and yeah, just the ensemble cast were just excellent. And I can't wait to watch it again. It has that rewatchability factor, doesn't it? I think, I feel like although it is a hard watch, it's 90 minutes and I can't wait to watch it again. So yeah, it's brilliant. Should we move on now uh, to Becky, which is very, very different. 
Um, very do not, different. Uh, very different. <laughs> this is Certificate 18, um, and this got its US release date a couple of months ago. It's directed by Jonathan Miller and Carrie Munyon, um, and it stars Lulu Wilson. You might know she was in uh, Annabelle Come Home, uh, and she was in uh, Luigi 2, Origin of Evil. She's big on the Blumhouse horror films. It also stars Kevin James, who you'll know uh, kind of as Adam Sandler's best friend. A very <laughs> different role from her for him, Paul Blart himself. And the movie uh, focuses on Lulu Wilson. She's a spunky and rebellious Becky. She's kind of a young 13-year-old girl who goes away with her father, um, tries to reconnect with him again after her mother's passing, uh, father played by Joel McHale. But the trip suit takes a very, very dark turn when a group of neo-Nazi criminals breaks into the house, takes uh, her family for a gunpoint, and it's down to uh, Luda Wilson, Becky herself, to save the day. Here's a clip. Becky, I'm going to speak to you like an adult because I expect you to act like one. You're not at the neighbor's. I know you're in the woods behind the house. So do me a favor and direct your gaze to the fire pit. My companion here, the unreasonably large scary one, he's going to hold your dad still while I hurt him. I can promise you it will not be pleasant. We can avoid that unpleasantness if you cooperate. Listen closely. In the basement, in the wall, was a small tin. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Yeah, see, I don't believe you. You already lied to me once. Now, I think you found that tin and you took what was inside it. I don't have your stupid key. I never said it was a key, Becky. Now that I know you have it, I hope you enjoy the show. And that was a clip there from Becky. Like we said, very, very different to Rocks. Very, very clear contrast. Um, and Kevin James, like you've never seen him before, I've got to say. But... For me, the reason I really kind of loved this film was, was Lulu Wilson. I thought she delivered an excellent performance, really kind of gritty, raw, uh, very charismatic as well. She's got, uh, she has those really, really great humorous lines in the film. And the movie is very self-aware. It's very tongue-in-cheek. There's a heavy amount of gore, and I mean heavy amount. I mean, the amount of heads that get chopped off and people getting blown up, it's just ridiculous. But I feel like it has a very grindhouse 70s feel to it, something maybe you'd watch it, like, you know, back in the 70s, like an R-rated film. Um, and Kevin James, I mean, such a different role for him. Um, I've got to be honest, I did prefer him more at the start of the film. His demeanor, his presence, his facial expressions kind of were more intimidating to me that when he spoke, I feel like the more dialogue he spoke, the less mm. intimidating I found him. Um, kind of there's a bit at the end where he's like talks about his backstory and his history I just kind of thought well you know are we supposed to sympathize with you are we supposed to hate you I don't really know um, but for me I, I really enjoyed this it's on VOD at the minute uh, on streaming and again Lulu Wilson steals the show for me uh, she was just fantastic uh, but Anna what, what did you think of this well 
<laughs> I didn't love it. Oh, there <laughs> I have we to are. Say. Um, so this, I'll provide some contrast. What I did think it did effectively um, was the basic setup, which is it's a horror Home Alone, right? This is a horror version of the movie Home Alone. Yeah. It is a kid um, having to deal with the bad guys, um, but in this case, in a very nasty, grisly fashion, and that in itself is quite satisfying. You know, seeing her use every trick in the book and use her astonishing amounts of cunning and bravery to thwart the bad guys while hiding out and trying to save people and trying to save the day. So that worked for me. But I didn't really believe the characters. I don't think I believed any of their reactions to anything. I didn't feel that she was developed well enough as a character to start with. And I didn't really believe the adults' reactions when bad things happen. And I thought that the bad guys were, as you, as you suggested with Kevin James's character, but I think it applies to all of them, were very skimpily drawn and... Also, they seem to sort of say things out loud very much for the convenience of the audience rather than anybody else. You know, he, Kevin James's character kept telling Becky, you know, what kind of person she was and using her name and things which I didn't think he would have done in the circumstances. So while I think it's sort of efficient as a grisly little grindhouse B-movie, uh, it didn't work for me. And it certainly didn't work for me from a feminist perspective because just because you've got um, a very capable and violent young female in the lead doesn't make it a strong or interesting from a female perspective. I, I got to say, I had a lot of fun with it for what it was. You know, I, I think if, if you go in not expecting it to be great, and I didn't, I went in knowing exactly what it was going to be and it gave me exactly what I thought it was going to be. So I, I, I enjoyed it for, from that perspective. The fact that it was silly, it was dumb and it just kind of flew by. It was like 90 minutes, which just flew by really quickly. And I, I, I had a lot of fun with it because I do think it, it really does have that edge in terms of the gore. I was really quite shocked at how gory, uh, how far the gore actually went. And a lot of horror films these days, they, they don't really surprise me or make me go, oh, but like that actually did. So I, I thought it was a lot of fun. I agree with you, Anna. I, I, I do think some of the uh, reactions didn't feel like real, like the whole concept of her at the beginning and we saw this earlier on in the year with like um, Four Kids and It, the film which went to Sky Cinema, where like this, this, this horrible idea of like this father basically taking his daughter to like, to for like a weekend away with like his new family. And like we're, we're supposed to believe that like her mother's only been dead for 12 months and like he's already like proposing marriage to this to this new this new woman. And I did, it didn't really buy that uh, initially, to be honest. And then, oh, it's funny because I made the same comparison with exactly the same film. It's like a weirdly similar setup. Yeah. Um, even down to the kind of racial mix. And it's like, yeah, the horror version of Four Kids in It yeah, plus yeah. Home Alone. It's a really weird mixture. Although, frankly, I do know lots of circumstances where men have moved on that quickly. So I, I, I actually felt that for me was the most interesting part. I mean, that's personal things. But when, um, he, when the girl is getting upset and being told at the mm. beginning that he's going to remarry, I, I thought that that rung true. Anyway. Yeah. So I I did think at the beginning when that first started I was like oh this is this is very strange I'm not sure if I if I buy this um, completely and I 
didn't really buy the relationship between her and him. And I do think in the car journey at the beginning of the of the film, there was there was maybe an opportunity there to just had some sort built some sort of relationship between the two, so that when what happens in the film does happen, they, there's more of that kind of hit to to you. You know, there's more of that punch. But as it stood, I didn't really feel that that relationship was really there in the first place, so that I wasn't really invested when you know obviously they kind of had him and they kind of torturing him and whatnot but what i will say is it is lots of fun kevin james watching kevin james i mean paul blot mall cop you know doing this kind of role playing a nazi it is very strange but but again i agree dan i think at the beginning he is far more terrifying um in that scene where they kind of um pull over that that family in the car and i thought oh like this is this is really kind of scary but then like you said i do think the more we kind of spent with him the less scary he became and that was kind of hindered as well to a degree by by like his henchman his main like guy who's like huge and like but he's got he doesn't you know he's secretly he's got like a heart of gold that that whole thing kind of really kind of I didn't really get that either and I, I think that would have worked again better if, if he had maybe remained dialogue free and maybe more terrifying but as it stands I think I think it has got that great central performance from uh, Lulu Wilson I think um, you say that she was in Annabelle to be honest I can't really remember her from those films <laughs> I was trying I, to be kind <laughs> yeah no no absolutely but I can I will totally remember her after this because yeah. her performance is terrific she's really she's, matured isn't she yeah and she's got you know she, like I was just watching it I was transferring fixed by here i thought like this this is a, a star you know this this is somebody who's gonna go places and and i think that will be my biggest takeaway from it and um maybe if i wouldn't seek it out again but if it was on like a saturday night and you know my better half hadn't watched hasn't seen it and maybe i had like having a beer i'd be like oh yeah i'll, I'll stick this on and i think that the time would fly really nicely so i had a lot of fun with it like i said it is available on vod now um and if you're after you know a bit of schlocky kind of gory fun as anna said rightly so kind of uh, x-rated kind of home alone kind of uh, violent home alone <laughs> then uh, then you can't go far wrong with this How long have you been doing this? Just over a year. What were you doing before? I worked in a hospital. What made you leave? It's what God wanted. What's going on, Katie? Come on, you can tell me. Back then, I was so lost. But now, I am transformed. <gasps> Everyone will see. Maud, he isn't real. He's everywhere. He's physically in me. May the Lord bless and keep you joy. So um, St. Maud stars Morviv Clark, who, just FYI, massive fan of Morviv Clark, very own Welsh actress who uh, has just been so impressive for, for so long now. And um, it was great to see her kind of headline in this. She plays Maud, a pious nurse who is basically got a history. We know that from kind of the very first opening shot. And she is tasked with looking after, caring for a, a former dancer who is terminally ill in this kind of secluded, it's kind of like a 
English coastal town. This former dancer, uh, played wonderfully by Jennifer L. And Maud goes in to look after her. Maud is very religious, and Maud slowly but surely starts to become obsessed with saving Amanda, the dancer's soul. I've been looking forward to this for so long because my favourite films of the past few years have been kind of female-led horror movies. Midsommar last year, you know, absolutely loved that. It just blew me away, that central performance from Florence Pugh. And I always say to people, you could see it as a horror, but actually it's probably like the best breakup movie you could ever watch. So I was really excited for this, something which by appearances looked really intelligent, looked really unusual, really different and exciting. So I finally got to see it on Monday and I'm so glad like this wasn't postponed or didn't go straight to VOD. Saw it on the big screen Monday, uh, potentially my last time in the cinema, which made it all the better. And I just, yeah, just absolutely blew me away from the get-go, from the opening shot I was just fascinated. I was just fixated on working out what was going on from the very first shot. And the film, um, written and directed by uh, Rose Glass, does a brilliant job of that, just kind of dropping in these clues all the way through about Maud, about her history. And I just love films like that, where you just sat there and you're trying to work out what's going on. Is what she's seeing real? Is it not? What's her backstory? And some of those questions are answered, some of those aren't. And, you know, you have to kind of leave with your own kind of interpretation on, on some aspects of that, but largely they are, they are kind of answered. But like, you know, there's a scene right at the beginning of the film where Amanda um, sees that uh, Maud's wearing a necklace and, um, you know, she says, you know, who's, who's that? And she says, oh, it's uh, my patron saint, Mary Magdalene. And from that moment, I was like really fascinated because obviously Mary Magdalene in the Bible and everything like that, that's, that's an individual who uh, is very controversial. Um, you know, obviously like talking about the, the divinity code you know you just mentioned that and you think about her and and the history of uh, of of that individual is really fascinating so i thought from from that moment on i was trying to work out i was trying to like is is there a connection between that and maud and and the film just builds on that it just layers upon layers of 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 what happened to maud why is she so lonely what what's going on in her life to the point where she has to live live it like she actually is this is boasted by a fantastic leading performance by Morviv Clark. Like I said, she she's just been terrific in everything that I've seen her in. Obviously, we we talked to Craig Roberts on our last show about Eternal Beauty. She was in that. Even His Dark Materials, which is on BBC last year, she had a small role in that. And she's great because she's got this her face, I could look at it for so long because it's it's just, it's one of these great actor faces where it's almost childlike in some aspects. But then also, especially in the case of St. Maud, there's, there's, there's a complexity between, behind the eyes and there's something else going on behind the, the eyes. And she does that so well. She, she juggles that complex character of somebody who is apparently so innocent and you know, is so devout to Christianity, but also has got maybe a dark past. And I just thought her performance was was one of the best performances of the year. I, I think it is a really, really great piece of work. I think Rose Glass um, does a terrific job on it, it balancing the horror and the drama here. She does a lot with the budget that she had and, you know, it, like, especially for what is essentially an indie film. So I think it'll do really well. I hope it does really well. As we said earlier on, if you do feel comfortable enough to go to the cinema, do go watch it because I tell you, uh, as soon as I left that screen, 
every single person was deep in conversation about what they just witnessed. So do go see it. It's one of the best films of 2020. But what did you think, Anna? I agree. I think it's absolutely tremendous. And Rose Glass is such an exciting filmmaker yeah. to watch. I, I'm sure we'll be getting on to Girls on Film before too long. I agree with everything you said, but also I think the look of this film is extraordinary. I mean, I think the cinematography is fantastic. And I actually saw it on at home, on, on a large screen at home, but, um, you know, fairly early on during lockdown. I haven't seen it on the big screen, so I can only imagine how beautiful that looks. Um, as you say, it's a very mysterious film. Um, it requires lots of decoding, maybe a second viewing and inspires so much thought. And I think that's one of the things I love about this is that it will keep you awake at night thinking about it. And that to me is a great horror, great psychological horror, one that you can really get to grips with in your head. I'm not necessarily into sort of jumps and bumps and scares or torture, but this had such rich characters and so many layers and such a sense of time and place, even though you weren't actually sure what time and place you were in. You know, there was a shroud of mystery over that mm. in itself a lot of the time. Costumes were amazing. And I think you mentioned Jennifer early. I mean, she is a phenomenal actress. I agree about Morvid. But um, Jennifer, I thought, was just tremendous. And I think uh, I think she was also in the Miseducation Camera and Post recently. And it's been really interesting mm. to see what kind of roles she's popped up on. You know, she used to be a sort of fairly traditional, mostly English accented actress. And she's, she's had some really bold choices lately. But I thought it was fascinating. And as someone that was brought up in a fairly religious environment, I thought that was very interesting as well. It had a lot to say about the power of the mind um, and mental health and the way that the mind can play tricks on you potentially and it had more questions than it answered on that but as I say it was a joy getting to grips with those questions so I would absolutely recommend it. Absolutely and fingers crossed as you said Rose Glass will be joining you on your podcast very soon but in the meanwhile I will say I, I, um, I went down a YouTube rabbit hole and there are some great conversations between all three so Rose, Morviv and Jennifer um, on YouTube right now which is really interesting um, in terms of some of the influences and some surprising influences as well there. Um, uh, Rose talks about Taxi Driver being one of the main influences so yeah it it will it will do that it has that effect on you you'll watch it and you'll immediately kind of go right I need to kind of go and see what I can find about it and maybe if I've missed something or not and as Anna rightly said it definitely deserves a second viewing for sure well, YouTube just sold it to me. So there we are. Thank you very much for that. Um, a great selection of films this week. So please go out uh, either at the cinema or at home. I mean, there's no excuse. There's just some excellent pieces of filmmaking out this week as well. Um, that's all we've got time for on today's episode. Uh, thank you so much to our guest, Anna Smith. It's been an absolute pleasure. Before you go, uh, would you like to promote yourself online? Where can people find you? And also, uh, have you got any future episodes of Girls on Film in planned at the minute? Absolutely. We're recording at least one a week at the moment. So you can find us on all the usual places, um, you know, Spotify, iTunes, you name it. And you can follow us on Twitter at girlsonfilm underscore pod. And you can follow me on Twitter at Anna Smith Journo. So Anna Smith Journalist. Um, or just Google me, I'll pop up. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, we've got some great episodes in the planning. Um, we've got a Halloween special where we will be mentioning St. Maud and other things. And there's another great film called Carl Miller to look out for, mm. which we'll be mentioning. And uh, yeah we're doing a lot with Amazon Prime Video and the great stuff they've got coming up because obviously as you said not everyone can get to cinema at the moment so we're talking lots about what you can watch at home as well so just google us find us follow us and uh, I look forward to hearing from you 
Yeah, keep your ears peeled for that one. And thank you again to Joe, as always. Uh, thank you again. Uh, and it's been a great, great show. Uh, so we've got time for, please make sure to follow us on Facebook at The Dan Joe Film Show. We're also on Twitter at DJ Film Show and on Instagram at DJ Film Show. And you can catch up with all our old episodes on Mixcloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well. And we'll be back for our next episode very soon. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.